Our scripture this morning comes from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Listen now to God's word. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray that you will open your word to us this morning. Holy Spirit, we pray that you will reveal yourself to us in this story. Come and be among us and move among us in power. In Jesus' name, amen. I love a good story that, lends, that, that ends with a cliffhanger. That just like leaves you wanting more. Several TV shows do this, but one that did it, I think, the best was Lost. Uh, when I was in college, I remember waiting every week for a new episode of Lost because it would end just making you want more. And back then, when we would watch it every week instead of just binge-watching shows on Netflix whenever we want, it was really important to catch the very beginning because they would remind you what happened before. And if you notice, sometimes they'll throw in stuff from even last season in some shows. And if you're paying attention, you can tell what characters are going to play a big role in this week's episode based on who they focus on in that previously on whatever show you're watching. The book of Acts is volume two of a previously uh, read work that the, that the people reading it would have already read and known. The Gospel of Luke is volume one of this two-part series. It's generally agreed upon by scholars that it's the same author and that there's volume one and volume two. And the cliffhanger at the end of volume one is not the death of Jesus. It's not even the resurrection of Jesus. It's the ascension of Jesus. When Jesus rises up into the clouds and is gone, he leaves his disciples, and I always wonder what they would have immediately said to each other, like, well, now what? It's a pretty big cliffhanger. I imagine they were confused. They were given some instructions, 
but I imagine they still were worried about what the next part of this story would look like. Acts chapter 1 begins like this. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning. And you'll notice Luke chapter 1 begins in a similar way. Since many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed on to us by those who were from the beginning eyewitnesses and servants of the word, I too decided after investigating everything carefully from the very first to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. And so both are clearly written to Theophilus. Theophilus is one of those words in the Bible that when you're reading out loud and you get to, you have to just say, read it out loud confidently, however you want, and people will just assume you've said it correctly. <laughs> Theophilus. There are some debates among scholars as to who this Theophilus is, but many people tend to think that it's just a generic term for those who will be receiving this work. Theophilus means lover of God or, the other way around, one loved by God. Something like that. And so it could just be a, a work that's given to the church, and Theophilus is a name that's, that's used to incorporate all believers. Or it could be a specific person. It was a common name back then. But, but Luke makes it clear why he's writing to Theophilus. In the beginning of his first volume in the Gospel of Luke, he says he is writing an orderly account so that, that's a, a purpose statement, we're about to hear the purpose, so that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. Luke thinks it's really important for the readers of the Gospel of Luke and for uh, the Acts of the Apostles for these readers to know the truth about things that they have already heard about. Word is spreading about these stories, and Luke decides that he wants to do an investigation into what is happening. And he seeks out eyewitnesses to these events and records their stories and compiles all of it for us and for Theophilus and the early church. And so, when we come to the book of Acts, then, we are coming to part two of this two-part series. And Luke says, in the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning. It's the same phrase that was used at the beginning of the introduction to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, this, this word that's translated from the beginning could also just be translated that Jesus began to teach which is, may sound like a different way of saying the, the same thing, but when phrased that way, it kind of carries with it the notion that Jesus began something that is now going to be continued or carried out, perhaps by someone else. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. This is a summary of last week's episode. 
This is a previously on Luke's story of the Bible, of the gospel. He's, he's reminding his readers uh, what has previously happened. And, and then Luke says, after his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. All before he ascended to heaven, he appeared to, to many. Luke's not the only person to write about this. It's in a few other places in the New Testament, these uh, post-resurrection appearances. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is writing to these Corinthians, and we spoke about the Corinthians last week. In chapter 15, how it's the, the climax of this letter, Paul says this. He says that Jesus appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, which 12, by the way, is more than would be needed in a court of law. So Paul is saying there are these eyewitnesses. These are the people he has appeared to. The number is important. But then Paul says, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time. And this is important too. Most of them are still alive, though some have died. When he's speaking to the Corinthians, Paul is saying, if you want to talk to him, you can go talk to him. There are over 500 people that witnessed Jesus' post-resurrection body. And so Luke continues to talk about these uh, appearances. He says, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Notice Luke doesn't say Jesus was speaking to them about loving their neighbor, which is sometimes what we associate with, with the gospel, the whole gospel combined into to the single commandment of loving your neighbor. Uh, Luke doesn't talk about um, the gospel simply as an act of love. He doesn't say, speaking to them about the crucifixion and the resurrection, which is the climax of the gospel. No, Luke summarizes his gospel message by saying that Jesus was speaking to them about the kingdom of God. If you read through the Gospels, looking specifically for all the times the word kingdom is used, you will be amazed by how much Jesus' message was about a kingdom that he would become king of. And so Luke is reminding them of that, that Jesus' message... After his resurrection, he was speaking to them and appearing to them, speaking about the kingdom of God. And then verse 4 in chapter 1 says, While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. Does anybody like to wait? Is waiting like your favorite thing? No? Nobody? Is anybody really good at waiting? They think there's something exciting coming and they're just like, well, it'll come when it comes. I'm not very good at waiting. I get excited and I think about it. I just want it to get here, whatever this thing is. But the disciples are told to wait, not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. And then... Then Jesus clarifies what this promise of the, or I'm sorry, 
uh, Luke clarifies what Jesus' promise was. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So the disciples are told to wait, to stay here by Jesus, and that they will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. So when they came together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? And this, I think, question from the disciples gets at why the baptism of the Holy Spirit is such a necessary thing. Because the disciples have just spent three years in an immersive training with Jesus about the kingdom. They still don't quite get it. They think their work is something totally different than what it ends up being. Their question is, is this the time when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is Israel this like specific people that they're going to have their kingdom back? And Jesus replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. It's, it's not for you to know. And I, I imagine Jesus like rolling his, his eyes at the disciples a little bit saying, oh, still just don't get it. He says, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. And then we come to verse 8, which is a, is a, is a pretty uh, popular verse in the Bible for good reason. It's, it's an exciting verse. Because the disciples are asking about the kingdom, and Jesus then says, you. <laughs> he has something to tell them about themselves. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So notice in verse 6, when the disciples ask their question, they're asking about, is this when Jesus is going to do something? Is this when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus' reply is not with what he's going to do, it's what they're going to do. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so I think in response to the disciples' question about the kingdom coming, Jesus' answer is, you're going to participate in the coming of that kingdom. But you can only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. And notice that it starts small. It starts with Jerusalem. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Right here in our hometown, the center of Christian worship, the center of Jewish worship, you'll be my witnesses where you are. Are we still called to that? To be Jesus' witnesses where we are? Not rhetorical. Are we still called to that? To be Jesus' witnesses where we are? Yes, we are. And then, then he goes on and says, and in Judea, which is the region that Jerusalem is in. 
Are we still called to go out of this church to all of Scott County and be Jesus' witnesses? I know we're not a call and response church very often, but we'll get there. Are we still called to Scott County? Yes, we are. And then Jesus says, and Samaria. And I imagine the disciples being like, oh, I was with you until you said Samaria. Because Jerusalem, that's like, that's our place. And Judea is like, yeah, that's our region. But Samaria is the place we don't go. And we don't really like to go there because the people there look different than we do. They act different than we do. And we disagree theologically with them. So we just don't want to associate with those people. And Jesus says, no, you will be my witnesses in Samaria. The place that Jews travel around out of their way when they're going somewhere. Are we still called to go to those who don't look like we do? Are we still called to go to those who don't think the way we do? Yeah. And then, in case any of the disciples still didn't get it, Jesus ends by saying, and to the ends of the earth. Uh, this year is a really cool picture of Georgetown's, Georgetown Firsts uh, participating in this type of ministry. Because through things like the Back to School Bash and uh, other ministries that take place here at this church, uh, we are being Christ's witnesses here where we are. And anything we do outside of these walls, when you go to work or your houses, when you leave this center of worship here, you're going out into this region. Well, we're sending a team to West Virginia in a few weeks that's outside of our region, but still in our country. <laughs> We're sending a team to Redbird Mission, which is still in Kentucky later in the fall. We haven't talked a lot about that yet later this year. And we just received back a team from Guatemala, which some of us may call the ends of the earth. But all of that is useless if we don't first get that the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is what accomplishes all things in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And if there's any question in our minds about the effectiveness of the power of the Holy Spirit in people's lives, we need to be reminded that we, simply by being gathered here today, are a testimony that the disciples went into Jerusalem and into Judea and to Samaria and the ends of the earth. Because Georgetown, Kentucky is the ends of the earth when you're starting out in Jerusalem. So the mere fact that we're worshiping this morning is a testimony to the power of the Holy Spirit that was promised in Acts chapter 1. We've, we've been having this sermon series on service for the past several weeks. And I think it's fitting that we constantly remind each other Sometimes the disciples were called to just wait. Sometimes they were called to go. But nothing was accomplished without the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives.
I encourage you throughout this week to, to read on in the book of Acts from chapter 1. Some pretty cool stuff starts to happen when the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples. I did a walkthrough of the book of Acts in a Bible study with some youth a few years ago. And I think I learned more about the book of Acts than they did. Uh, but one of the things that, that kind of came to me and to them as we read through the book of Acts, uh, which is a narrative, it's a story, is the different characters that are in it. We focused a lot on Paul and Peter and for a little while Stephen and several other important characters while we were reading through Acts together. And I, I, I asked them without a, even an answer in mind before I asked them, who's the main character in this book? in the book of Acts. Who, who's the main character? If you had asked me before I thought it through, I probably would have said Paul because we get Paul's conversion and we get to see the effects of him taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And, uh, or maybe Peter, who, who is kind of uh, the rock at the very beginning. But as you read through the book of Acts, you notice how many times there's a different person who is talked about, and that's the Holy Spirit. Anytime something amazing happens, it says, and Paul did this in the power of the Holy Spirit, or by the power of the Holy Spirit, or Peter did this by the power of the Holy Spirit, or, and then the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they did this. The main character in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. We're going to sing a song in just a moment, and as we close this service, uh, I want to encourage each and every one of you, and myself included, to be thinking about, are we allowing the Holy Spirit to be the main character in our lives? Are we inviting the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon us, to send us to our community here, and to Scott County, and outside of Scott County, perhaps to the ends of the earth? Let's pray together. God, we thank you for these stories in Scripture that are more than just cool stories. God, we thank you for these stories in Scripture that teach us to rely on you. That teach us what happens when the Holy Spirit takes over somebody. And God, we pray for your Spirit to move in power in us and among us here at Georgetown First. May this be a place where people say, the main character at that church is the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come, be active in and among us. In Jesus' name, amen.